If you might be thinking about it, we're going to pass some of these around. If you think that that might be a possibility for you, grab one of those and uh, pray about it. Hey, could I get the clip on? So she mentioned Dare to Dream, so I'll tell you, we're going to have a seminar here on Dare to Dream on a Saturday on the 17th, and I will be teaching on uh, Dare to Dream the Tuesday before to kind of get you ready for it, so uh, I would love to have a good group of you. My desire is, and Karen, Karen and mine, our, uh, our call in this season of our life is to raise up and release young adults into their God-appointed destiny. We like to sit down with individuals. If any of you would want to sit down and talk about that, we'd love to do it. I would, she would, or the two of us together. Because God has given you not a generic destiny, but a God-appointed individual destiny. And it's not as important to know what it is as to walk in obedience to the Lord. If you walk in obedience to the Lord, you will walk into your destiny. But it doesn't hurt to ask because sometimes he gives us a clue. He gave a clue to Lauren. And so now she's taken another bold step forward in what she's introducing into the community this summer. So it's uh, very exciting for all of us. And uh, I'm just going to see if Karen has been out in California. And uh, I'm just going to see if she's around. And Naomi, Naomi said to say hi to you guys, by the way. So... It's ringing. Hello. Okay, she said we wish all of you here, but especially Paul. I don't know what she meant by that. And I'm driving right past the ocean, and I have. She it was 90, 90 degrees in. How how warm was it? She was walking along the beach. Eighty-five. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you're driving now. You know what the law? Oh, oh, the law in California is different than the law here. You can't do that. Okay. Okay. Say bye, Karen. Okay, honey, I'll uh, call oh, you when you, you get. Mean I can't just talk all night you, well, you can, but you might get arrested in the process. So, uh, <laughs> you're coming home tomorrow night. We want you to stay out of jail. <laughs> Love you. Where about Naomi? Is she there? Can Can Naomi say? Okay. Okay. I love you. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Okay. Karen stays up. I go to bed. I'm picking her up tomorrow night at midnight. My girls said, oh, that'll be fun. Karen will be wired and you'll be dead. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, I was going to tell her that I, I was going to introduce a couple of non-controversial subjects like birth control and women in leadership. So I'm, I'm simply going to...
introduce those two and tell you that uh, I've written about it and we're going to put it in our on our website and it's eight pages long. They had to read it, uh, the Harvest Project. It was great, Paul. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. I'll get you up next. Yeah. So I'll just tell you, I'll tell you now where I'm at. This doesn't have to be where you're at. I'm going to talk about birth control. I'm, a, I'm most likely in a very different position than, than uh, well, there aren't too many married people here. That They're the only ones that are using it. So uh, if some kind, uh, perhaps. But... Uh, just so you know, I'm not sharing this to get you to agree with me. I'm sharing this because I began thinking about it, and I'll tell you why. As I read the scripture, it seemed that God controlled the births of people. And so I put that down in a, a longer four-page article. I'm, I'm sending out a, a one-page uh, today just in case anybody would like to read it and think about it. And pray about what your response might be, single people, what, what your outlook uh, might be. Karen and I chose what's called natural family planning. There are, there are different levels of possibility of, of birth control. One is some kind of contraceptive. Contra means against. Contraconception, literally. Contraconception, against conception. If you don't want conception, then there are different things you can do. Uh, one is to do nothing and see what happens. See what, see what God gives you. Another is to uh, use, do what we did, which is a kind of birth control. Another level would be some kind of device. You, uh, you know the devices, a diaphragm for a woman, a condom for a, a man. Or if you're past childbearing or past, past an age where you want children, some people have surgery to surgically stop the potential for having a child and that a vasectomy for a guy or, or tubal ligation uh, to... Uh, Bringing the tubes together. <laughs> Got what I'm saying? Am I communicating to you? And then, uh, and then the next step would be where you uh, take the pill. 50 to 60 million people took it today in the world. It's the, it's the most prescribed pill in the universe. And uh, that does potentially three things. It uh, either, either inhibits ovulation or it increases cervical uh, mucus so it's harder for that sperm to fight its plot its way through and uh, harder to get there. Uh, the third is that it, it, it thins the lining in the uh, uterus, uterus so that implantation of the already fertilized egg has less of a chance of fertilizing. So that would be an abortion because you have a living organism. You have life in the womb and then that life is going to be stopped short when it, it's not able to implant itself on the wall. For that reason, I, I say uh, 
pill, uh, and I know there are people who have different outlooks. I'm more conservative on this than anybody I know, more conservative than focus on the family, more conservative. Here's my view. If we can trust God for finances, if we can trust God for a place to stay where we should be living, if we can trust God for guidance in everyday life, can we trust God for when we should have children and how many we should have? See, the reason I'm saying that is I'm grieved that Karen and I chose a methodology. What if we hadn't? We had six. I wish we could have had 12. And maybe, maybe if, we, if we hadn't done this, we would have had 10. So I'm just suggesting to you that you prayerfully consider how God would lead you and that one alternative is to simply put your trust in God. I wonder why we don't trust God in this huge area and we'll trust him in lesser areas. If we chose as a, the people of God to do this, we would have more Christians for sure and we'd have more trouble because kids bring trouble as well and that's a wonderful thing because you work through that as a family and so uh, if anybody uh, I'll, I'll just pass, send those out and if uh, you can read the, the one pager the four pager is four times as long as that <laughs> do the math and uh, the second thing I just want to mention to you my outlook on women in leadership. Some of you have asked, and so uh, it's right for you to know. There are three basically different positions that are considered in understanding women in leadership and uh, how they function in leadership. One is an egalitarian, it's called egalitarian, and that means no difference uh, because of gender. There, there would be no difference between choosing a senior pastor who is a woman or a man. There, there would be no consideration given to the gender difference in choosing a person if you are in that place in an egalitarian position. Then <clears throat> there's complementarian, which is where I line up. And I'll, I'll put it this way. In the home, we need strong men and strong women. We need leaders who are men and leaders who are women. My wife is a leader. She's strong. You know that. But ultimately, I'm the head of the home. And the way I do that is by serving. I don't use that by telling her she submits. That's not my job. Their responsibilities, not rights, listed in Ephesians 5. So I exercise my responsibility. I wish I could say I do it as Christ uh, leads the church. He did it by laying down his life. And hopefully I'm able to do that. Hopefully when Michael gets married to Martina, that he will be the head of the home and he'll exercise that leadership by laying down his life. I don't know of too many women who would not want to, to, to respond, to submit to a husband who lovingly lays down his life in the way that he leads in the home. So I'm the leader of this house. Karen knows it. She doesn't fight for that position because she, I think she feels honored and respected and listened to. We make decisions together. But there is a difference. There's a gender difference 
in the home as far as the leadership of this home. And yet, as you can see, we, we don't uh, give, not give women a place of leadership. We have women on our leadership team. We have women who speak here, and uh, we recognize the gifting. Egalitarian, hierarchical, and complementarian see no difference in terms of the, the gifting. It's, not, it's never an issue of gifting because women have the same, uh, they have gifts just like men do. Hierarchical, there would be no women on a leadership team, and there would be no women teaching men. We do that, but with the understanding that there is a difference, a gender difference, and that's called complementary, and that's where I stand. That's where our community functions. So we have women giving teaching, giving testimonies, but then ultimately, and where do we draw the line? You know, that's hard. It's hard to, to know where that line is drawn. But, uh, you can read the paper, and on either one of these issues, feel free to email me if you, if you have a difference. We're not trying to have a communitas position on birth control. We probably, we do have a position on women leadership. I, uh, a couple years ago, I was uh, mentoring a group of five guys, five leaders, and I said, let me just hear where you're at. One by one, each one, they gave their position. Every one of them lined up in, in the complementarian camp. So there is uh, a good level of unity. If you're not there, if you operate in a different place, either hierarchical or egalitarian, you're welcome to talk to me. I won't try to necessarily convince you. I'll, I'll hear you out. I've worked with people uh, for 17 years who were in a different position than I was. So it doesn't bother me if, if you take a different role. So feel free, but... Uh, we, we're, we pray about these things. I'm, I prayed as I thought, you know, I, I took a role that I wouldn't take again if I was a, in a position of having children. I would, I would change, I changed my position, and I would say, God, we're in your hands. We want as many children as you want us to have. And so that's, that's what I would do. Now, I want to introduce a subject and what I'd like is in a moment I'm gonna I'm gonna pass out a sheet that I really worked hard on to help us understand the difference between the gospel according to humanism and the gospel of Jesus Christ and I have two columns here and then I've got four pages describing that and I'd be glad to send it to anybody that would like it Here's why I'm doing this. We had a wonderful week in which God sent a couple, I believe God sent them to us. I'll just call them hippies. They're, they're on, a, uh, on a journey. I remember hippies well from the late 60s and 70s and saw some of them begin to coming into the church. It was a wonderful time to see these barefoot people coming into churches that, whoa, that's a stretch, you know, with their uh, town, their guitars and long hair and uh, it was a new deal. But uh, in that season, you remember Timothy Leary, who was from Harvard. Well, you don't remember because you weren't born. <laughs> what am I thinking here? Anyway, this guy named Timothy Leary, who was a professor, he just uh, invited young people. Uh, he was kind of like a prophet guru. He said, tune, tune in, turn on, and drop out. And uh, work was, was uh, considered not essential, and drugs were. Psychedelic 
drugs were part of that whole hippie culture. And they, uh, these people weren't taking drugs, but it's an interesting way that they got here. Isaiah Hunsinker, about four or five years ago, Isaiah and three of his buddies, uh, two, two guys and a gal, were just walking around Northwestern, kind of drifting. You know, they had, not, they had lost their way. They'd, two of them were pastor's kids, and they, they were out of, uh, out of relationship with their parents. And <clears throat> someone said to them, why don't you go next door? I think there's a Bible study over there. They came over. They ended up spending the night, and they ended up, some committing their life to Christ, and others recommitting to Christ, getting, getting reconnected with their families. I'm, I'm feeling it just as I share this with you because it was God just sent them here. And as I, as I start talking to them, I find out they're past, they're, they have parents who are, uh, a couple of them are pastors, and I, I just wanted to help them reconnect and then find Jesus Christ. Isaiah is a leader now, and that's four or five years ago. So these two are wandering, uh, literally, just wandering, and they wander into his, the church where he's a custodian. And so he starts talking to them, and then he calls me up, and he says, deja vu, Paul. Uh, he says, we got some people here that are kind of out there, and just uh, I'm wondering if I can bring them over. I said, bring them over. So they came over last uh, week ago Monday, and they stayed till Sunday. And I, how many people here uh, ended up talking to him? Raise your hand, because uh, there were a lot of people, and a lot of people shared the gospel with them. How many, how many shared some aspect of the gospel with them? Look at that. There's 15 or so. so. And then they got deliverance on Saturday. And just before they left, I, I talked to them and invited them to end this journey, this pilgrimage, and uh, be reconciled with their family, go home, and didn't know if they were going to be able to do this. I, I urged uh, them to a, kind of a, a way of life because there's a guy and a girl traveling together and uh, wanted to see where they were in terms of the, the gospel. And it seemed that they had uh, tacked what we gave them onto what they were already believing. And so, and if, if you believe in humanism, you can do that. Because you can decide what truth is. Truth is whatever you decide it is. So you can take the wonderful things that were shared with them and just tack them on to their faith. And it, it appears. So, I'm, uh, so when they left here on Sunday, they somehow got over to Godtown because they were really impressed with that. They, they're sleeping out there uh, and taking part in the, in the activities. So we pray God... God, confront them, bring them to a place of repentance and faith exclusively in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So out of that, I want to share with you the essence of uh, what we believe as Christians, the essentials, and contrast it with uh, humanism. And in just, uh, just a minute, I'm just going to give an introduction and then I'm going to pass these out, these sheets out. And I don't know how many we have, but we don't have enough for everybody. 
what I want you to do then when I pass them out is I just want you to read down, quickly read down so that you, so that you get a quick, quick meal, quick digest, and then we'll talk about it. If you have any questions about it, we'll, uh, we'll do that. So I saw Stephen Oberg. Where are you? Was, is he still here? Did he just walked out? Go grab him. I'm going to tell a story about him if, if, uh, if you can. Maybe he's coming around this way to go to the bathroom. I don't know. If you see Stephen, anyway, uh, I was really proud of Stephen. He went through Job Corps, Herbert Humphrey Job Corps on Snelling Avenue down by uh, Como. And uh, so he invited me to go to his graduation. And it was neat to see the, the, uh, the ethnicity of the place, a lot of different races, and a real, real positive spirit. And, and then a, a, a gal sang. She sang a beautiful song. They had a message. And then they had people come up and they got hugs as they, uh, as they graduated. And that was the happy part. Here was the sad part. What, Steve, I was just saying how proud I was of you uh, when I came, went to your graduation at uh, Job Corps. And he, since he got a very good job and he's been working that job for, I don't know, uh, quite a while. He went through the whole program, and, and they, they knew him. They, they, uh, they knew him well, and because some didn't. We had a guy that was coming here that was in the program with him that came here, didn't get through, just uh, uh, couldn't, couldn't handle it. So there were many, many really happy factors. Here was the sad thing. The message, if you don't have a gospel to give to them, your gospel is go do it. See, here, here were, uh, there were a lot of people. It seems, Stephen, that a lot of the people there had come out of, you can do whatever you want, yeah, had, come out of, had come out of brokenness, had come out of uh, broken families. I would say of the people that were there, many of them were coming from broken families, wouldn't you say? You, pr you knew them personally. You knew a lot of them personally. And so I saw these people who were broken, and then they sang this. It was a beautiful song, but it says you can do it. You can fly. You can sprout wings, and you can fly. And we're saying these people that, that have lived broken lives, go out there and do it. And that was the sad part. There were, there were really happy parts. But uh, I wish we could have said, hey, God's at work in you, both to will and to work for, for his good pleasure. You can trust in God, and with his help, you can be healed of what you're going through, and you can do it. Stephen knows that. So he can take the message of go do it, and he's doing it. Some couldn't take that message because they've already, they could have said, hey, I already tried that. Listen, in the 80s, there was a program that came right from the president's office. You know what it was? Dealing with drugs. You know what it was? Just say no. That was the program. Just say no. So if you don't have a gospel message, what's your message? It's law. We either live by faith or by works, by law or by gospel. And the gospel of God is, starts with the bad news. What's the bad news of the gospel? Huh? We're all sinners. We, yeah, we're sinners. We can't. 
you to tell people you can, it'd be better to say you can't, but God can. But what if, if we don't have the gospel, that's all we've got left. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if you can guess a song that I'm singing that we sing at Christmas. It is a terrible song. And you can expect that if we have a culture that for the most part rejects the gospel of God, right? We reject the gospel and we live by reason in our culture, then we will have messages that come through that tell what our gospel is. And so, what, what's the song I'm thinking of? Why saw mommy kissing Santa Claus? Well, that would be a good one. It's about Santa Claus. You better not shout. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list, checking it twice. See who, who has been naughty or nice. See, he's checking up on you. Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> so it, he knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you're bad and good. So what? What do you do? Be good. Now, here's the deal. If you tell a culture be good, they say, I can do that. Because they believe in good. We... Don't believe in that. We don't believe in good. You know why? Jesus said to a man who came talking about goodness, said something nice to him. What did Jesus say? No one is good but God. The refrain that comes over and over. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you very much. I'm not going to keep you any longer. You go do what you got to do. But listen, we're watching you, so you come back. Now you got me all messed up. Where, where was I? Oh, oh, there's no one is good from God. Uh, but God, the psalmist says, Psalm 14, there is none that do good. No, not one. That's the bad news. See, if you don't accept the bad news, you ain't going to get the good news. But if you, all you have is good news, is positive thinking, it's good. We can do it. We'll elect politicians that have good outlook, that have positive spirit, and can help us to get the things that they promise. Because we're good. No, we aren't. Except God intercedes. There's another song, and it's a song that's played at halftimes, big shows. It's a beautiful song with a terrible, terrible message. And I don't, I don't know if I even know all the words, but uh, okay, I'm counting on you. Okay, you can sing it with me if you want. But uh, I may stop in the middle of it.
short-circuited the gospel. See, God's everybody's father, and we're all a family. The, the family of humanity in the circle of love. Let us love other in perfect harmony. See. Wars, pestilence, bloodshed, irrepressible oppression, poverty, systemic poverty, civil wars throughout the world, within countries and between countries, and we're singing. Let there be peace on earth. If you think I'm mocking this, I am. <laughs> because, because it's absolutely unrealistic to expect it without the king, without the prince of peace. There will not be peace. And for me to think there will, there's not peace in families. Half of them are breaking up. There's not peace at schools. We're shooting people up. And yet we're, we have the audacity that's the human gospel. I will start things, and we'll just have this trickle of peace that filters out into the universe. How are we going so far? How's it working? It's just the absolute opposite. And the prophet saying, people are saying, peace, peace, right? Where there is no peace. And so, do we need to be optimistic? Yes. Our optimism is in God. Put not your trust in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. That's not Jesus in men, in leader, nor, in, nor in princes. Don't put your trust in princes, but put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in God. So that, uh, that just forms a little backdrop. And uh, we've got two different, two different gospels at work. One is a gospel that comes only by Starts with R. Revelation. I'm sorry. Repentance was a good word too. We, you do not intuitively know the gospel. If you put ten people and say, "How, how are we going to rescue humanity in this situation?" No one would come up with the idea. Well, how about God sent His Son? They wouldn't come up with that. We need God to reveal truth. That's why we're praying for our friends Josh and Jim. God, reveal yourself to them. Reveal your heart for them. Reveal your love for them. Allow them to be encountered, apprehended by something supernatural that breaks in on their life. When we read the scriptures, we need, we need revelation. We need inspiration. We need the Holy Spirit to bring it home to us because it's foolishness at the human level. So in opposition to revelation is reason. It's the gospel of reason. It makes sense. Yes, we can be good. Just, you got it in your heart. You can do it. You can be good. Go do it. Just say no. And that's oppressive. And the danger is what happened to the Galatians. They had the gospel. We talked about it last night. And they began to live the gospel. And then Paul says, Oh, foolish. Galatians, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has tampered with you from the underworld? Having begun in the spirit, are you going to finish in the flesh? So they had another gospel. 
They had half a gospel. If we are saved by faith, what are we sanctified by? Not by yes, exactly, not by works. So help me uh, put this out there, will you? And uh, we have enough for most of you, but uh, a few of you we're going to have to share. And then I just want you to uh, look it over, read it, just uh, take a few moments to digest it. Then I'm going to share a little bit more. And if you have questions, it, as you're reading it, it, it Circle something, if something really stands out to you that you want to remember. Here's the deal. Peter wrote in 2 Peter, isn't that nice? He, he wrote in his own letter there. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, 2 Peter 3, what he was wanting to do. Dear friends, this is now the second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to, st what am I doing this? I got, it, I got this. <laughs> to, to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. What I'm desiring to do is stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Why that's so important is because you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. If you think you are dead to sin, you are dead to sin. God says you are, and if you think that way, then you prove it to be true. If you says, no, I'm not dead to sin, although God says it, you will prove that. You behave your beliefs. So the way you believe is the way you will behave. So it's important to be thinking right thoughts. So I'm just sharing some of these to, with you to make sure that you have a good solid handle on how you're thinking about the gospel of God and the gospel of men. And then you take it with you. And if we run out and we don't have enough, I, we'll just... There's more we'll, here. There are more. Okay. We will... Uh, let's, could you take them out back there? Sure. Uh, we'll, we'll also put this in the update so that you can read it. What I do is I'd fold it and put it in my Bible so that you could look at it so that you really digest this. So I'm just going to take just about five minutes now for you just to read it and uh, check off anything. If you've got questions as you go through, then uh, I'm going to share a few more things and we'll talk together.
I see heads up, then I'll know that people are done. refrain that we hear in scripture and if you you keep reading if you want to that we hear throughout scripture is oh give thanks unto the lord for he is good he is good, he is good. god is good say it with me god amen amen god is good god is so good God put a tree in the garden, the knowledge of good and evil. And before they ate of that, whatever it was, Satan entered and he caused them to question God. He discredited God. Has God really said, by the time you finish that, what you have is people thinking that God is withholding himself? God is cheating. God is mischievous. God is insecure. God is holding something back. He knows that if you do this, you, you are going to know things. And so what they did was they picked good over God. And that's what the world does. The good life. The, the finding good, and good is a God. And when good becomes God, and I am good, then it's a small step to what? I'm God. Which is what our friend said. That is common. Mormons will tell you that we'll become, we're, we're becoming gods. Move over, almighty God. Oh my. I dread to think of it. That we can, we can become gods. There's nothing in the word of God. But if we tamper with the good, if that becomes our focus, the good, then that becomes our center. That becomes our God. And uh, we push God out. And we begin to doubt him. God can handle it if you go through times and there, there are times of doubt. I, I marvel 
at the kindness of Jesus when John the Baptist, who had revelation like no one ever had about Jesus, the Son of God, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew that he became, he was before me. He ranked before, he ranked before me because he came before me. In other words, that man who is five months younger than John came before him. John understood that. How could he possibly doubt? I don't know, but he did. And great men and women do have times in their life. And what does Jesus do? He's the greatest prophet ever. Didn't put him down. God can handle your doubts. But don't let that tamper with your understanding of who he is and what his character is. God is all loving. God is all giving. God is all, all caring. Here is the... Here is the reality, if you, if you turn to Romans chapter 1, it's a, it's a telling scripture in the face of a human gospel. The reality is, is that they know. See, it's not that they don't know. You know what the sin of humanism is? Ignorance. What we really need to do is educate people. Come on. What, we, we got oppression. We've got, we, we've got uh, violence in the streets, and all we've got to do is have another seminar and, and, and educate people. No, we need a breakthrough. We need repentance and a breakthrough of the supernatural. So Romans Revival. chapter 1. Revival, that's right. Reading in verse 21. Although they knew They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. What does the first verse of the Bible say? In the beginning. In the beginning. So there's a beginning. If there's a beginning, what else is there? There's an end. The lights are going to get turned out on the universe. There's a beginning and there's an end. Matter is not eternal. God is eternal. In the beginning, God created. He spoke into existence life. And so now, <coughs> they're worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator who is forever praised. That's foolishness. Absolute foolishness. And we're told that they know better. It's not that they don't know. They're suppressing because they want the good life. And the good life means freedom to do as I want to do. Jesus never asked for freedom. He never wanted to be free. He wanted to be obedient. Yes. Servants don't ask for freedom. They ask for obedience. They ask for a heart that obeys. Amen. And so we've got the kings of the earth in Psalm 2. The kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointing saying, let us break their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. What's the response from heaven? He that sits in the heavens laughs. Did you? Who are these people who, who scoff at heaven and just want, they want more freedom? Give us, give us a break. Give us freedom. And they feel something from heaven oppressing them and restraining them. I felt it as a young adult. And I thank God that as I felt it, 
I felt his yoke on me. And a prophet came to our house once and said, others may, you can't. And I didn't take it as a curse, I took it as a compliment. That God put a harness on me because he wanted to use me. Not that he didn't want to use them, but he put a harness on me. And I couldn't get away with things that other people got away with. Because the Bible says I gave my back to, my, to the smiters and my, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not despise it or turn away from what the Lord had put on me. And the Lord may do that with some of you, maybe with all of you. He'll put a harness on you. He'll put a restraint. And there are things that you just can't get away with. And you think, what? It's such a little thing. Well, it's a little thing that counts. And if you allow God to harness you and put a restraint on you like he did on some of the prophets, he's going he's gonna to make something out of what he's doing. But people want to break out from underneath that, although they know better. That's a human gospel, and they know better, but they can't handle it. And so they, they break free. Here's the wonderful news. Isaiah, or uh, Ezekiel 36 this is the gospel in the Old Testament, and it's, it's wonderful. I counted the number of I wills in the book of, of uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. I won't tell you how many, but uh, see if you come up with the same number as I do sometime when you, when you count them. It's over 20 I wills. What does that mean? If I say I can't, what does God say? Good, I will. Jesus died. I couldn't. I can't. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man went home justified. See, as soon as I say I can't, as soon as I say I'm weak, God says, that's okay. I'm strong. If I say I'm strong, I can do it. God pulls back. And so we want to be very careful in our life with God to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to acknowledge, I can't do this, God. I can't do what you're calling it to. But I believe that you can that's the gospel given to broken people. What is our job? John 6, 29. This is the work that you, this is the work that you believe in the name of the Son of God. That's our job. And as we believe, what does it do? It affects our behaving. Believers behave. It's not that we behave in order to believe. It's that we believe, and our belief, our, our seeing Jesus, we're transformed into that same image. We're, we, we, we're changed by what we believe and by what we behold. And if we behold Jesus, and if we believe Jesus, that's going to change us rather than self-effort. It's not that God is opposed to effort. He is opposed to earning, however. We can't earn it. See, we start out on our own with a bad score. Did the prodigal have a good score? No, he had a crummy score, but he had a good father. Here is the publican that came. Here's the Pharisee bragging about the good score that he had. He was keeping score. If you're keeping score, you're living by the law. You're tallying up your score. Because people who are under the law, they're competitive. And I, I'm all for compe uh, a competitive spirit when you're playing athletics. I, I love uh, competition in that sense. But competition before heaven is forbidden. And here is this guy saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. And he's, he's bragging about what he's got, how many points he's scoring. 
And then another guy, what does the other guy say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You either have the gospel of merit or the gospel of mercy. Which one are you choosing? Which one are, are you embracing as your own? If you're inviting the mercy of God to, to come on you after you've sinned, rather than hide it, rather than excuse it, but just acknowledge it and say, I'm weak, God. Without you, I can do nothing. You, no surprise to you. You knew I'd fall if I didn't put my trust in you. So I acknowledge it. And then I, I let him empower me again. Paul was keeping score when he was still Paul. And what did he do with his scorecard? It says in Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> he lists what he had. And then verse 7 Philippians 3, 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own. That's the difference between a human gospel and a divine gospel. A human gospel is your own righteousness. Good luck. How are you doing? Constructing your own righteousness. Or what theologians call an alien righteousness. A righteousness from God. And if God gives me that righteousness, I start with a perfect score. I have the very righteousness of Christ. And so I don't operate in order to. I operate because of. There's a huge difference. There's, there's not that strain of trying to get there, but there's a, a, a relaxation, a joy operating out of what God has given to you. I'm going I'm to stop there because we're, uh, we're at the end of our time. I'd like to share more, but we can do that later. I just want to, uh, I'll just give a couple minutes for, qu are there questions or comments as you, as you looked at this? Anybody have any questions or any things that want, they want to comment on? But even you, Paul said, I worked harder than the rest of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. So even his effort was God stirring it up with him. There is a good striving, Andy. So, so it's, God's not against striving. If it's striving in the spirit, it's a good striving. Yeah. Immediately looking through this list, um, it just God brought to my mind that. Real loud. Okay. Immediately, like looking at the list, um, God brought to my my mind that um, the enemy's trap is to to um, limit creativity. Like with creativity, you know, like with with us also. 
So having those fetters, but at the same time being able to be, well, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe you could tie it in with creativity. I just got that word. Yeah, and there's, there's so much room for creativity. Right. When God releases us, when we know our identity, we're going to walk into our destiny. Destiny is related to our identity. When we, when we can embrace who we are and know who we are, then we have, we have a much better chance of walking into our destiny. And our destiny is planned in heaven. But there is so much room for, for creativity within... Yeah. That's, yeah. That's where I was getting it. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel like um, just everything about this is so Ecclesiastes. And I feel like that's, I've always felt for a long time that Ecclesiastes is the book that our generation needs so much. Just that everything on the humanism side, like building your own life and solving all the world's problems and, you know, the American dream, it's just, it's all just empty. It's all yeah. mean, meaningless without mm-hmm. without God. Yeah. I think what the first lady was trying to say is that that God does not micromanage us, and that it's not just a tribe of Israel or Egypt, and that when when God He offers us decisions to make out of out of our own heart, out of, out of our own creativity, whether it be being a very rebellious hand of cheese. Or painting a picture, or choosing a school, you know. Or playing the guitar, <laughs> like you do. Let's pray together. And then after I pray, I invite you just to turn with others. If there was one part that, that grabbed you, or if there's a desire to, uh, to live more fully in the, in the grace of God, with humility comes grace. And grace is what we get if we, if we acknowledge that we're weak. If we don't, we don't get any grace. We, we desperately need his grace to function. And so, Father, we, we are sad for those who do not have real hope because they are, they are making their own way. And your word says, there is a way that seems right unto, the man, to, right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And we desire to be instruments of life, of bringing people out of death into life. I pray that you would allow us to be schooled in your word, understand, and not just understand. Your word doesn't say God is good so that it could be a theology, so that we could taste and see that the Lord is good, that we can experience it from day to day, and that those who are dried up by the the frustration of trying to do good, trying to have a good marriage, and trying to raise a family on their own, try to live by being good to people, we pray that you would use us to bridge that gap and to share the joy of a life of freedom through being 
your children and your servants. Bless my friends here. Allow them to encounter you day by day and taste your goodness. So let's settle in now for a moment. The goodness of God. Okay, just turn to someone close to you. Pray together. Maybe a need that they've got, a need that you want to share with them. We also have prayer ministers who will be up front. We pray with you. We'll announce in a few minutes. We'll be upstairs to meet with any of you newbies who want to meet with us. But for now, we just turn this into a prayer time. So turn right now. Just turn, find somebody that you're going to pray with. That's it. There you go. There you go.